All right, I know we've prayed a lot, but just one more to start us off, okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Merciful God, give us the grace to desire those things that are most pleasing to thee, to search for them together wisely, that we might come to know them together truly, and so accomplish them together faithfully to the glory of thy name. Through Christ, thy Son, our Lord, amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, last year, at least the last year, maybe two, um, right, we've done this sort of Aquinas lecture. This is sort of a, a, a talk outside Mass, and it's one of the few chances I get to just tell you what I think is going on and what I think will be most helpful for us here. And we do this on the Feast of St. Thomas because, of course, we draw our best inspiration from our patron saints. And what's binding us all here together at the Academy is that St. Thomas is our patron here. Obviously, we've got this image, and what I really love about this image of Thomas is that, look at that baby face. Does he look old to you? He doesn't even look as old as me. And Thomas didn't live to be a lot older than me, so, so that means something. So what I want us to consider today is this. I want us to look at St. Thomas under the heading of intellectual humility. So let's break that up. What's humility mean? What does the word humility mean? What does it mean to be humble? To go last and stuff, to go last. And the first will be last, the last will be first, right? Yeah, we always used to fight in line that way to see if we could get in the last one. Good, 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 good. What else? What else does humility mean? Or what does it look like? Because that was a good like, example. What does it look like? What does it look like to be humble? I know some of my bigs know. Come on, help me out. Yeah. To sacrifice. To do favors for people. Good. Anything more? Yeah. To put pride in last place. That's very, very good. That might come closest to what to what Thomas shows us. So if we can hop in the Wayback Machine, 800 years, Thomas was just a fat kid in a school not so different than ours. And he sat in the back of the room. Uh, he probably had some like eye issues, but he would sit in the back of the room and not say very much. And so they nicknamed him, what was his nickname? Yeah. The Dumb Ox, because he was big. He was a big guy, kind of lumbery. And he was quiet. He was a shy kid. So he didn't say very much. But what made him stand out in class was he would ask questions that nobody else was asking and that everybody else thought were kind of dumb. So he'd say things like, but what is God? Not who is God. He knew the answer to that. But like, what is he? What makes God God? Or later on, he'd say things like, how does Jesus get in the bread? Like, how does he fit inside, right? And, and what does it mean for him to be present here on our altar and the tabernacles in our churches, but in all the tabernacles of the world? How, how does he do that, right? How can Jesus be both God and a man? He, he'd ask questions like this. And the other students thought that they were sort of silly questions because they'd been taught answers in class, and they, and they didn't understand why he was trying to think harder about things that he should have known the answer to. When they nicknamed him the Dumb Ox, their teacher, their professor, Father Albert, later St. Albert the Great, he famously said, right, 
He may be an ox, but I tell you one day that ox will bellow so loudly that his voice will be heard throughout the whole world. And it is. Still today, 800 years later, we're talking about what he said. You just sang some of what he said, right? He wrote that hymn. So, so one day, Thomas is in the classroom, and Father Albert gets up and leaves. And while he's out of the classroom, one of the other boys says, Thomas, Thomas, come here. Tom, look, Tommy boy. There's a pig flying out the window. Do pigs fly? No. Of course not. But the, the other student, he hears, Thomas runs to join the other student. He looks out. He's looking, he's looking. He's kind of waits for he's looking. And the guy said, everybody starts laughing at him. He says, Thomas, you know pigs can't fly. And he looks at the other guy. He says, I would rather believe that a pig could fly than that one of my brothers could fly it. I call it Mike Brown. That's before Mike. <laughs> so, what Thomas understood, what Thomas, what Thomas got, was that knowing things is a real value. We're made to know. We want to learn, right? Isn't it fun when you're learning a new thing? And there's there's some things when you catch it. I know you're shaking your head, but here's the thing. There are times we all have this, right? Like. There are times we're like being made to learn something new and we don't like it, and it's arduous, and it's hard, and it's difficult, right? And there are other times that we learn something new and like we can't let go of it, right? We keep doing it again and again and again. You learn a new song and you play it over and over and over until your parents are crazy at you because you won't stop that song. <laughs> That's because we're made to know, and that, like the exhaustive knowledge of that song is stirring it. Thomas understood that we were made to know, but that knowledge didn't come primarily by way of making, of identifying differences, but rather of likenesses. This is intellectual humility. His job was not to prove the other guy wrong. It was to show what the right was, and how sometimes even a mistake could point to it. So years later, he wrote several books, but, uh, but the, the, the Summa Theologiae is most famous. And the way he writes is not a way we're used to writing today. Most people don't know how to do this. So if I was your English teacher, you'd all be doing this. He would always begin with the other guy's argument. So he'd identify a topic. He'd say, hot dogs and hamburgers, which are best? Hamburgers? Hamburgers? Hot dogs! Hot dogs! Hands for hot dogs. Okay. Hands for hamburgers. I will admit I'm more of a hamburger person. But let's pretend Thomas was a hamburger person. What he would do is he would begin by saying, it would seem that hot dogs must be best. Because, and then he would give the best possible argument for hot dogs. He wouldn't say, hot dogs are dumb. People eat hot dogs don't. Hot dogs aren't even real meat. They don't count. They're not real. They're not real food. They're fake food, right? He wouldn't do that. He'd say, you know, it would seem hot dogs might be the best thing to eat because, um, because they're conveniently shaped and because the bun is made to fit them and because they take condiments on better than the hamburgers do. Offer all kinds of reasons, right? Because why? Because why? 
Because they're bigger, right? So no, it's a very it's a very real argument, right? So he so he lists all the things that sort of would lend us to hot dog, and then he'd say, but on the other hand, there might be a really good reason hamburgers are better, and then he begins to lay out his reasons for the hamburger, and then at the end, if there's anything left to kind of clean up, then he'd say he'd give like specific responses to the arguments for the hot dog. Now, how many of you? When you're in an argument with somebody else, one of your siblings or one of your classmates or, or friend from the neighborhood or something, how many of you presume that they're right and you're, you're wrong and do your very, very best to understand what they're saying? <laughs> right? And the rest are lying. <laughs> we don't tend to this naturally. It's very, very hard to do. It takes a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of work. And it requires real humility because the goal is not simply to get the right answer, it's to get to the truth, which might mean that my idea and his idea have some place to meet in the middle. Now this is especially important in a place like the academy because we're coming here, right? Like most, most of the parish schools, most of the kids in the school are from that parish. So they've got something that already binds them together, right? But we're special because we've got kids from all kinds of different parishes. And we've got grown-ups that help from all kinds of different parishes. And, 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 and we're coming from all kinds of different backgrounds. And so it can be easy to, to see people doing or saying things different and presume they're wrong. Or, or even if they are wrong, to presume they're all wrong and there's nothing right about them and what they're doing at all. And my job is to make them the right kind of Catholic, which is the kind of Catholic me and my parents are, and there's no room for anything else. <laughs> that makes me sound, that sounds like you know something about that. <laughs> See me after class. <laughs> it's not only true here at the academy, but this is the place where we are all at together. And so, so th that's what I want you to think about, is, is, is when you run into another kid who talks different or prays different or whose family goes to another church, instead of immediately explaining what's wrong about them and what they're doing, Ask questions. Why do you do that? Why do you like that kind of music? Why do you pray like that? Why don't you do this other thing that's really important to me and my family? And chances are, you'll both learn something from each other. Now, this is different than saying there's nothing that's really true or, or the, like the, 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 there's not a time to correct people. But let's be honest, most of us here are not in a position to do very much correcting. We don't have our stuff very well together ourselves. So, so there shouldn't be much that leads us to believe. That's okay. There shouldn't be very much that leads us to believe. You be careful, I'll grab that one too. Um, that we know lots and lots better than the others, right? So this is my challenge for you this year, for the feast day and then, you know, for, the, for the rest of the term. Try and figure out, it's okay, it's okay. He disagrees. <laughs> but there's something right in his crying because he wants me to finish. <laughs> Listen for what the other person isn't saying. Humility is deeply tied to obedience. Huh? It takes humility to be obedient. So we have to subject ourselves to another person, right? I'll be honest, I didn't understand this real well until well after I was ordained, really until I was made a pastor and put in charge of a lot of stuff. 
I have a lot of people that report to me. Like a lot of people owe me obedience. Um, and, and while there were times before when I was the one always having to be obedient, and I was like, oh, this stinks. I don't really like it very much. I get it. And I'm frankly, I'm grateful for the moments when I was able to be obedient. Well, here's the thing, gang. Obedience, very Latin kids in the back. Ob audi re. Audi re. To hear. It's to listen hard. We might say today, listen up. Okay? Obedience requires us to listen deeply to what the other person is saying, and humility requires us to consider that they might be right, or at least part right, and we might be wrong, or at least part wrong. So, can we all this year promise to follow St. Thomas's example better, listen to the other guy, be more humble and obedient? Yeah? Yes! yes. yes. Promise? <laughs> here's, here's kind of my last thought on that. My dad and I were having this conversation just yesterday. So I'm 40. My dad's 88 or something. Um, and, and obedience doesn't stop once you're a grown-up. So this was a conversation dad and I had about this. He said, you know, when you're little, obedience basically meant doing what I said when I said it. Don't touch them, because it's hot. Don't run over them, because there's your car, right? And it's true, the smaller we are, you gotta do it, you gotta do it right away, or people get hurt, right? You get older, it looks a little bit different. You get old, right? Here's what obedience might look like. This is the reason Dad and I are having the conversation. Don't take my car keys away. Dad, can't see anymore, you're gonna kill somebody. Now, here's, here's why it's obedience. And you might say, well, that, like it's the right thing to do, but it's not really obedience. It's just like unnecessary evil. No, and this is my dad talking, not me. The, 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 the one who is owed the obedience. No. You need to listen for what I'm really saying. So when I say, don't take my car keys away, I'm not saying just don't take my car keys away. I'm saying, treat me with respect. Understand me and like where my feelings are. And when you simply yank the keys away, it makes me feel less. Don't do that, but let's have a conversation about when I should and shouldn't drive. That's what it can look like, both for the bigs and for the littles. Fair enough? Yeah. All right. No. Y'all figure it out. Pray that I get over this froggy thing. Enjoy the celebration for the rest of the day. And know that we'll be, we'll be praying for you on the feast day proper too, okay? Thank you, gang.